Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. I'm Ariana. And later this episode, we'll be reviewing the musical comedy theater camp. But first up, we're going to be taking a look at the latest film from German writer-director Christian Petzold, uh, A Fire. Emotions run high for a group of friends in a holiday home by the Baltic Sea as the parched forest around them catches fire. That's a very surface-level presentation of what this movie is about. But we'll get into more of the details. Uh, Ariana, what did you think of A Fire? I thought it was a well-done movie. It's not a movie that I would say would hold a lot of people's attentions at the end it's just supposed to be a man who is extremely self-centered and insecure not being able to see the world around him or the way that other people are trying to like go through their lives he's fully focused on himself and therefore the damage that causes that it was a film that i feel like it would be argued it was hard to argue that the film has subtext yeah because it felt like Everything was right there on the surface level. Mm -hmm. And I was prepared for a movie that was going to like make me work a little bit to figure things out. Yeah. But by the end, I felt like I didn't need to do any work at all that the movie had kind of spelled things out. Yeah. Uh, And this is our second Christian Petzold movie. Uh, Previously, he's he's a German director. I really haven't pursued that much. The one film of his I've seen before, I would say probably has one of the best film endings of all time. But it was also similar in that I thought it was a good movie, but I just wasn't wowed by it in any way. Yeah. Uh, and that movie's Phoenix. I don't, I'm not sure if I said the title. Uh, but so this is our second uh, film of Petzold's. Uh, one thing I did read was that Phoenix was marked the end of his collaboration with, I think, a specific screenwriter. And then ever since then, it's been films that he has written and directed. And so we have Phoenix as the sort of the old way of him making movies. And then a fire is part of this sort of new era of his career. Um, I thought that the, then I, it's interesting because I've read like a lot of really mixed views on this movie on places like Letterboxd. Because yeah. there's people that love it and there are people that despise this movie. Like so and they the... think the acting's bad. They think the directing is bad. They think the like they really hate every aspect of this movie. And I felt very, I felt I felt let down by the movie because I yeah. wanted more from it. And then when it finally kind of revealed what it was, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, okay. And it like I said, I didn't walk away going, wow, I'm really gonna think about that movie. I was just like, oh, okay, that's what that movie was about. It just felt as if, like, the dude was a big fan of, like, Curb Your Enthusiasm, but we're just going to put a young, fat man, <laughs> like, in the situation. I mean, but it's it, socially awkward. But like, it was, it, was it trying to be that type of humor, though? I, I didn't get no that vibe. Yeah, I think it's just that's the main feeling that I could maybe express to someone if they're not used to foreign cinema and I could kind of agree about like the acting wasn't really that great and mostly like unfortunately the guy that plays Leon there aren't any 
quiet moments with him. He's just obviously upset all the time. And it's like he's a downer to everyone around him. And you're supposed to like un if you're supposed to unlock something special, you don't really get that. You I get a feeling of someone who's like insecure because he refuses to go to the beach and take off his shirt, like because of his body. He's constantly like letting everyone else like putting them down because he's insecure about like his book fail, like his second book failing. His friend who's applying for art school, he's constantly like, Well, what what are you gonna do? What's your project? You should start working. Then the moment his friend is excited for a new project, he's like kind of indicating to him that the, uh, the idea is crap. Well, I mean, and yeah, I feel like the movie presents everything exactly as you said it without any metaphor or anything to get that's deeper out of it. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, well, let's kind of go through each of the actors yeah. and talk about them. So Thomas Schubert plays Leon, who is the protagonist of the film. And as you kind of described, very misanthropic, but that misanthropy, misanthropy is kind of obscuring his deep insecurities about himself uh, and especially his work. Uh, he's working on his second novel, Club Sandwich, which we never really get to hear anything about what's in the novel. Which I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. But the the indication is from the people who read it, it's not good. It's yeah. just not good. And in fact, that it seems as though he was trying to be literary in a way that feels very obvious. That's the sense I got. Like, this is a book where you are, you're really trying instead of just letting a story come out of you sort of a thing. Yeah. And you can see that in his behavior. It's also interesting that we never actually see him doing any writing. He keeps assuming the pose of doing writing, but then is distracted by things or gets upset about something and leaves the room. And so he's somebody and so I can see where Petzold is coming from because he's sort of imagining the type of person who they think to be a good artist is to be a moody, uh, temperamental person. Because that means that you're in touch with who you are and you're like feeling something and you have passion, right? But it's, and I can see that that's a common mistake that young yeah, artists make, right? It's self-publishing you're not allowed good experience because you need to be sitting down writing versus actually living your life. When he does a, a thing during a dinner where it's, and the, the sexual dynamics of the movie are very interesting in that I think like everybody in the movie is bi. Like that, I get really the, yeah, I get the here. sense everybody's bi. Uh, and so... There's a dinner where Leon and then his friend Felix, and they're having to share what's essentially an Airbnb with a Russian woman named Nadja. And then she's kind of hooked up with a local guy named uh, David. And they're having like a lunch or a dinner or something. And that's where like Leon really lays into David, questioning him in ways that are meant to like antagonize and try to like rile him up a little bit. Uh, and that's like the common interaction he has with people is shutting down something that they bring up or needling at them because he's pissed off about something. Yeah, with the with David, it was like, oh, you're just a glorified uh what do you call them again? Like the people that stand over at pools and uh beaches. Lifeguards. Oh yeah, because he's oh that's a, he's a lifeguard like at the he's beach. Like, oh, I'm a rescue swimmer. It's an yeah. lifeguard. And he's just like, And Leon just won't accept and the term. Leon is just sort of 
like not even exchange term, but being like, so what do you do in your time off? Like he's just basically telling him like, you're not living to any potential that I'm living up to. Like you're not special. And it's not until Felix tells him to stop that he does stop. And then Nadia is kind of like, what's wrong with you? Um, well, and I think with the Leon character and Schubert's performances, he conveys that it's a person who is unable to be around others, but he's also completely uncomfortable by himself. Yeah. So there's no place that he can be content. Yeah, and they didn't really like explain to to us or give us a reason as to why he's friends with like, yes, like, like Felix. Well, or none of that. Why is Felix friends with him? Yes, because like it's not as if he's like you know if Leon is like really believes in Felix's like um art art or yeah. like his talent. He's just more like, oh, we're supposed to just make sure that each of us finishes our work and that's it. Like, there's never a moment between them that, like, he maybe that he would make Felix laugh or that, like, he's helped him during rough times. It just feels like Leon is using uh, Felix and not really appreciative of anything because they. Well, it seems like there might be an attraction between the two of them. Like, maybe they had hooked up in the past, but now they're just kind of friends. Yeah, which, like, if they had explained it that way in some gay gay cultures, like, a lot of times because you come from a small community of gay people, you end up just becoming friends because it's sort of like, well, you know, we hooked up, but there's not many of us, so let's go hang out. And, like, we don't have to worry about each other being homophobic or anything. Yeah, but it's also, they... They're living originally in Berlin, which is, like, the gay capital of Europe, which is sort of like, okay, so why are you hanging around this person who is obviously fucking miserable? And, like, you get to the point that you're starting to, like, I remember just watching this film when they first go to the house after their car breaking down. Um, He's like, Felix is like, oh, Nadia's here. My mom, my mom had told me she was here. I forgot to tell you about it because the house belongs to Felix's mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. And like, and so immediately I was like, what? No, we're supposed to be alone. And he's like, it's fine. We'll be sleeping in the room. In the smallest room, we can't share a room. I need to be alone. And it's all very realistic. I mean, and one of the things that, one thing I did see on the Letterbox reviews where there were a lot of people going like, the entire time I was watching this movie and going, oh no, it's me. It's me. And I'm like, I can relate to Leon a lot. I'm kind of a an antisocial person. And yeah, I could, also, when I was younger, yeah. But it's also just the idea that you would fight. It, it would be more interesting if Felix picked up on a mood and like that Leon is biting his tongue. And so therefore, like all of this is boiling versus Leon is immediately letting you know that he's upset. And had we watched him more just grimace and squirm when the moment he goes off on David, that would make more sense. But the whole time he's just been complaining. And I think you might have hit on something there. I think one of the reasons why this movie felt so flat for me was a lack of tension. Yeah. I it, The film never builds towards anything. Things just kind of happen. And the director, Petzold, cited the work of eric romer as an influence which i kind of picked up on having i've only ever seen one romer movie pauline at the beach and in watching this i went oh this is kind of has the same general dynamics as pauline at the beach where it's the stakes are not like world shattering it's all about kind of social interaction and social drama 
but Romer did it so much better in Paulina at the Beach, and he allowed there to be tension. Yeah. He allowed the story to unfold in a complex way, so you weren't really on a single character's side. There was no one that was just immediately dislikable, or unlikable, I mean. Uh, but, like, I don't find that this captured that element of Romer, which is what made that movie so good. Yeah, because towards the, like, end, Leon is, like, panicking because his editor is going to come talk to him about his book. And he's telling uh, Nadja that he had let, like, some cleaner like friend of his from like the from his mom's or something like that read his book and she called it schmaltzy but then he dismisses that one because like well she's a cleaner she's beneath me she's beneath me and so he lets Nadia read it assuming she is just an ice cream seller he doesn't know anything about her she's like a professorship in literature and studies or something she is like she has a master's degree yeah like which is revealed during the dinner with the editor and he is angry at her afterwards because she had told him beforehand, I didn't like your book. You know why I didn't like your book. And he's like, oh, you're just a, like, at first he's like fucking ice cream seller, like goddamn bitch. And then he's like, oh, you, you didn't tell me. And she's like, you never asked me. But I think that's part of the movie is he is so up his own ass that he ignores all the people around him and he never asks Nadia anything about her. He is completely incurious about who she is. Uh, the same way that like the film shows that there is this looming presence of forest fires, of wildfires. And it's sort of, he is so unaware of the world around him when he needs to wake up because there's things happening yeah, in the world that are really, like, you know, like vital. It's not a big deal, but it's, I know it's supposed to be like we are supposed to be in his shoes, but again, the lack of tension and the lack of the ability of maybe thinking for a second that he is in the right. Instead, immediately we're just kind of like watching him fail. You never sympathize with him. You never sympathize for him. And so you're kind of like bewildered afterwards when like major plot points are revealed and she's the one telling him like open your fucking eyes and then he tells her like oh i'm in love with you and it's been only a few days and all he's done is complete yeah um <laughs> what do you think of that paula beer or bear she apparently is because petzold the way his work was the actress who was the lead in phoenix people kind of refer to as his muse because he just kept casting her in movie after movie after movie once he stopped his collaborations with that writer, Pauline, Paula Beer has sort of become his new muse. It's the female lead he casts in all of his movies. What did you think of her performance? Because she kind of shares the uh, the weight of the film with Thomas Schubert playing Leon. I like. I can't say anything about her because it's just sort of like she they barely gave her anything to work with. Yeah, like I kept trying to think is what do I know about the character of Nadia other than she's Russian and she sells ice cream on the beach and then we know she's has a master's in like literature studies. Like, I don't know like I, like I don't know what her life is like back in Russia. I don't know if she lives in Russia. I don't know uh what her anything that she dislikes because the film never really presents that she feels very she, disappointingly flat as a character 
failed attempt of a manic pixie girl. And that's the, oh my God, people in letterbox. That was another element they were bringing up is it feels as though she exists in order to propel Leon to this epiphany. And we'll talk about the ending of the movie because I feel like that was probably one of the best parts of the movie because it's ambiguous. It's not so on the nose, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, I think she's pleasant. Yeah. She uh, is taking the role very seriously. <laughs> but I mean, when you're having to get to those as compliments for an, a performance, you're it's really like, scraping the bottom. Like you are scraping <clears throat> the bottom of it. Like I just, it's sad because the more I talk about the movie, the more I realize I just really fucking dislike it now. <laughs> like I want to lower the rating. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I would probably, well, I mean, we give it like a three and a half. I would probably give it a three. Because I still think it is a well-put-together movie. Like, on a technical level, it looks great. I can tell that Petzold really appreciates the environment that he's shooting. Uh, I think he especially makes the woods feel very uh, textured. Yeah, There's a lot of creaking of old trees, and I feel like that soundscape is very atmospheric. Uh, he really takes advantage of the beach that they have there, and just kind of the, like, the the ocean grass or the, like the the beach grasses and things on the shore there's some really interesting shots there but uh and i think there's i think there's an interesting story to be told here the way it was executed falls so flat yeah. that there is a story to tell about uh a young man who is so uh self-involved that he is missing big chunks of the world and especially from the people around him this film just doesn't really pay that off um because then there's the thing with david and felix which i won't say in case somebody wants to watch this movie but what happens to them in the film i felt should have had a greater emotional impact on me and i just was like oh okay we spend so little time with them like we don't get any appreciation of these characters i don't fall in love with anybody in these characters i don't understand the relationships of these characters in a way that would make me go like oh yeah i could completely understand and like relate to that it's just sort of like and it should have had a bigger impact at the end of the day especially especially because felix is the one that calls leon out on several times of has his having like bad behavior and instead of maybe having leon have moments of jealousy of or like maybe like being like oh god that's like my best friend in the whole world it just falls flat yeah there's never a scene where nadja goes so how do you know felix to leon which would have been great for the audience because then we would have understood the dynamics between those characters and like how they met and maybe how they met could have been presented in a way that made their current relationship ironic. Like we were saying, maybe it was like, oh, we dated for a while, we broke up, but we went to the same university, remained friends, and now he's trying to get into like a master's program for art or whatever. And then you'd go like, oh, okay, so is it, then we could start making inferences about, oh, Felix maybe felt kind of sorry for Leon. He knew he didn't want to be in a relationship with him, but he still like, it was like, oh, he's not such a bad guy. I'll keep him along. And we can like infer that, I guess, with the movie as it is, but there's nothing there to 
affirm that that's what's going on. Yeah, like, there's a lot of, like, scenes of, like, Neon lurking in the house, like, watching Nadia. It would have been interesting had maybe he woken up last, Felix is talking to her, and it turns out that, like, he overhears Felix talking to Nadia about Leon, just being like, yeah, he's an asshole, but he happens to be, a, a, like, my best friend. He helped me out through some rough times. Like, and like, he really understands what it feels like to just be, like, be alone with your thoughts and the, be ever-consuming. Like, or, something! Or maybe something happened to Leon that has made him like this, and he's never allowed himself to, like, deal with it, and that could yeah. be a reason why Felix is like, oh, you know, he's had a really bad run of luck because all these things happened to him, and I just feel like maybe if I stick around and I'm his friend, he can, like, I can go, pull him out of it kind of a thing. The book that he's writing is a second book, and maybe like it could have been authors telling him, Oh, at your age, having a book that successful means like the your, rest, yeah, like your career is going to be short. And maybe like that really fucked him up because he talked to other authors who like had big successes and were like, At that age, like you're fucked, which could have been realistic. Oh, yeah, but or the like, pressure because I mean, like, uh, the author Michael Shaban wrote, uh, The Mysteries of Pittsburgh. When he was very young, and then he—I don't think he wrote a follow-up until uh, *The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay* in the early 2000s. And his first book was like the early 90s, and so that's yeah. a very common thing—that sophomore slump, right? The the pressure is on because the first one was so well well received that uh, you crumple under the pressure of that. Like, how yeah. do I live up to that? I put everything I had into that first one. And now I've got to be as good, if not better, for the second yeah, one. Yeah, and it, and it, you never get the feel of that in this movie. And it's kind of frustrating because, like, at the least, like the editor who's brought like what, like the last third of the film. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that character. Yeah, he feels like the only character that Leon will listen to. When he's has... also the most authentic performance in yes. the movie. Like I, I was like, is this guy a real editor? Yeah. Just the way he delivers his lines. And the way that he's just like, he tells Leon, like, listen, this is not the book. You will write a great book. This is not it. And it's just sort of like, I believed him. I believed he wanted the best for this character and just kind of was like, like his mentor of sorts. But I just didn't believe like Leon struggling with this book. Because we never, like, once again, we never really see him doing writing. Yeah. So it, I'm sort of like, did he do any writing on the trip? Or is it he just bring the manuscript he had with him and then didn't do anything? Like, he did some work, but not enough. <laughs> uh, then the relationship between Helmut and Nadia that kind of comes out of left field, in my opinion. Yeah, it was weird. What would, like, because so much of the movie is from Leon's perspective, I kept thinking we were missing something. Because all of a sudden, like, Helmet and Nadia are so close, and Nadia seems to know things about Helmet. And, I mean, I know that they're trying to make that the point of she's barely known this guy, and she already knows a bunch of things about him. And Leon's known him probably for years, and he's never bothered to care. But it, that's so on the nose, I was expecting there to be something more than that. Yeah. I don't, it was, uh, what weird. did you think of the ending of this movie? Because I was not sure how to read that final scene. I think the ending at the end does fall kind of flat. Like, you're supposed to think, oh, Leon has grown. But has he? But, and now he's a little bit, like, 
trying to help Helmet out, like, because Helmet's like, hey, I trust you, go read this, tell me if it's any good. Um, And then he happens to see Nadja there. But it's like, it's kind of, and then like, they look at each other and they smile because he's no longer trying to lurk in the background. Well, but it's just, it's again failed manic pixie girl because she's like rolling around the fucking like wheelchair Here, and like i want to present an idea to you is this the german equivalent of a zach braff movie yes oh that makes me sad <laughs> it was just missing uh what the shins or whatever yeah, who did, like who didn't deserve that they were a good yeah. band like... uh, but like i that's what i've thought since we watched it was hmm all of this is so surface level and on the nose and there's the manic pixie dream girl aspect that seems like a zach braff and i've not seen any of his other movies after this. i've seen one other of his movies and it was fucking awful which one was it uh you can't say garden state everybody's seen garden well state. of course you've seen garden state it was his follow-up to garden state which i think nobody saw it was a remake of an Italian film with Rachel Bilson in it. And he like cheats on his girlfriend with her, but we're supposed to think he's like sympathetic. Oh, it's about like a wedding or something. Staying like outside of, I didn't see the movie. I saw the trailers where he ends up sleeping outside of her door for like a week or something. That wouldn't surprise me. I remember when I was in Bellingham when I saw it and I remember it just being super forgettable. Like one of those movies that the minute you walk out of the theater, you're like, what did I just see in this theater? Yeah. <laughs> it's as if I was mind wiped, like in Men in Black. Um, yeah, so this movie, I had, I would say I was hyped for this movie because I was hearing good stuff about it. I thought it would be pretty good. I liked, uh, I liked the older German cinema that I've seen. I haven't really seen a lot of like contemporary German cinema, yeah. so it's hard for me to say. But yeah, Christian Petzl, kind of a letdown with this one. Kind of a pretty big letdown. Eccentric staff members of an upstate New York theater camp must band together when their beloved founder falls into a coma. That's the plot of Theater Camp, a mockumentary, slightly improvised musical comedy uh, written and directed or directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman and written by Molly Gordon, Nick Lieberman and Noah Galvin. Uh, Ariana, what did you think of Theater Camp? I thought it was pretty good. I wasn't expecting too much from this, considering that it has been flat in it, and I've not seen anything of his that I felt of great interest. I've never seen anything he's been in. I've just heard bad things about him reprising the role in Dear Evan Hansen, which is some a play or a musical I know nothing about. I probably am never going to watch. I think there was also a lot of like Nepo Baby things because his dad was producing the thing. So this is a very he, Nepo Baby movie. And like it was, but also like the that other movie, he's like in his 30s playing a 17 year old. Okay. And he was like the original actor on the play. So it's just a lot of weirdness. Well, in this movie both like molly gordon her parents are both deeply involved in the industry yeah uh ben platt deeply involved in the industry they actually use i think real home video footage of molly gordon and ben platt when they were kids in musicals together yeah probably at a theater camp like the one in the movie so it's very much 
a lot of the people making this movie are friends outside of the movie, but that's normal. Uh, it's a film that evokes a little bit of Wet Hot American Summer, yes. a little bit of Waiting for Guffman, mm -hmm. but I don't think it is able to be as good as either of those movies are on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not bad. I There were many moments in this movie where I genuinely laughed yeah. that I thought were funny. Uh, there's just not a lot of them. I would say the moments that were funny were very funny for me. But then there were like lots of long periods where I just, I think because I'm not a theater kid, I don't get the joke. But that makes me think, man, people that were theater kids or are theater kids are going to fucking love this oh. movie. Yeah, that's the feeling that I had about it. Um, the one thing I do have to appreciate about this film, that even though it's a mockumentary, we didn't have those side interviews, which I'm kind of tiring about. On the mockumentary, I think they should just cut the mockumentary part out. I don't know what it added to the movie. Like saying, oh, we're supposed to do a film about blah, 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 and then it just turns out she had a comb and continue to do it. Because yeah, the opening premise, uh, it sets up Amy Sedaris, who plays Joan, and then her partner who runs the camp with her, uh, Rita, played by Caroline Aaron, who's a character actress you've seen in Curb Your Enthusiasm, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and so uh, Amy, it's Joan. Did she get hit in the head by something? Uh, she had a seizure because of the flashing lights. The strobe light. Yeah, the strobe lights in one of the shows. And what was the play they were performing? I remember. I think there was like some joke about it or whatever. But yeah, so she ends up in a coma from a seizure. And so the people who were like students at her camp who have now become teachers there are it's the kind of standard plot trying to, you know, put on a show so they can make enough money and save the camp. And then there's, of course, a rival camp who's the only presence we really see from there is their lawyer uh, played by Patty Harrison, who is one of the funniest parts for me in the movie. Yeah, she's always great. She's always good. Uh, then you have like there's another character in the movie where I'm just feel like, oh, that was just an afterthought they put in because she really doesn't have any bearing on the plot of the movie. Uh, Iowa Debris yeah. as a teacher that they hire because they had to let go of so many staff members and she lies her way into the job. And all of her scenes feel so separate from the rest of the movie until the end, until the finale, yeah. that I just got the sense of, oh, they were like, Oh, Io is kind of a hot commodity right now. We're friends with her. She's available. Let's have her come in for a week and just shoot some stuff. It was also probably realizing that the film was probably going to be like really cutting it close into being a full feature film. Yeah, because it is an hour and 33 minutes. And I think this kind of a movie, you want to cut it as short as possible because like a two and a half hour mockumentary musical about a theater camp you're not even theater kids i feel like are gonna go oh, come on let's go let's go let's wrap it up um did you have a standout performance in the movie that you thought was really strong not particularly not particularly um i'm gonna put say ben platt merely because the bar for me on ben platt was so low like non-existent yeah. i went in expecting nothing from him mm -hmm. and then i was like oh this guy's not bad he's doing a good job of this particular character it's a, it's very much a character type yes uh, i would say he and molly gordon are the sort of main duo of the movie and immediately i remember turning to you and going oh it's john early and kate berlant that's the vibe you get yes. but just not quite as 
poison tongued as they can be, like really sharp and nasty. Yeah. It was like a nicer version of their act. Yeah, it's sort of it is this this whole film is a love letter to theater camp uh situations. It's just it was a twist of like the 1990s, early 2000 films of we're going to lose the camp, everybody. Or like those indie movies that were being cranked out a lot in the early 2000s. Because yeah. I remember being in college and going to the theater that was near my university. Like every weekend I would theater hop. I'd pay for one ticket, get in and then watch three movies. Nashville, if you're listening to this. <laughs> they come get me. You don't even know what theater it was. Um, and so... It felt like those where they weren't movies that required a massive budget, but it was clear the people who made them really loved making them. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say I felt disappointed by Molly Gordon. I wish they had given her a little bit more to do. At the end, it's just she's supposed to be there to disappoint. Her character is just not very interesting. Yeah. And after having seen her in Booksmart and in Shiva Baby, especially in Shiva Baby, where she's so good. Yeah, and she doesn't have that many scenes. And I felt like, oh, okay, I really enjoyed her so far. I can't wait to see her in this movie. And then she just felt like a pretty, like, stock kind of character. There was nothing she, that stood out. She towards, yeah. like, a portion of the mo- a movie because it's supposed And I know to be... she's a co-director, so maybe that's why. Yeah, and it could have been maybe that they needed her more behind the camera. But there should have been a, a few more scenes with her, like, scrambling about and or trying her best instead it's sort of like she almost becomes one note and then just becomes an obstacle for like amos slash ben platt's character to be like upset over she's a plot device for that it's it's the typical it's not a romantic couple but they are a couple to some extent yeah and it's one of them disappoints the other are they going to stay friends and of course at the end of the movie they're friends which is very much like a plot you might find in a musical or a stage yeah so there should have been because there's like there is a hangout moment between all of like the adults in the theater and um Io's character ends up being like, so you guys are codependent. We're like, no, 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 we're not codependent. We, we are just, dependent on each other. Yeah, we just really depend on each other. <laughs> and, which was pretty funny, but there should have been like, maybe like him being conflicted at the fact that he's trying to depend on someone else and them not filling up those sho- that position as he wanted to versus just being upset that she's not there. Well, because uh, they're, the interesting thing with that dynamic and those friends is they've both agreed to be working actors who work full-time as teachers yeah but she secretly auditioned in a performance role on like a cruise ship like a carnival cruise lines theater kind of thing and he's very upset about that because that was not what they agreed they were going to do that they were if they were going to go back to performing they would do Do it it together together. uh and so it's it's a cute story but it's that was like not my favorite part of the movie no. That felt like that was getting in the way of just, I liked just the more kind of sketch, episodic little moments that were just funny. Uh, what did you think of Jimmy Tatro as uh, Joan's son? Because that's an actor I've seen in a lot of things. I, a lot of things. Um, of things. I kind of enjoyed him just because he was playing just a bro in a situation that he did not understand. Only for him to be like, oh, no, this is something that my mother really loved. And she didn't force me into it. So I should have been, like, happy that she had this. Because it was just sort of like, 
it was not the story of here's a son that was forced to work in theater camp against his will. Like he was allowed to go hang he, out with his friends. He could have easily have been like the villain of the movie. Yeah. But they don't do that. Yeah. And so I appreciated that. Um, I felt his arc was well done. It was a good arc. I just didn't care for the performance. I didn't find it authentic. I didn't believe him. I believed him as an idiot. <laughs> That's the I, thing is, but I didn't believe him as this like kind of kind-hearted idiot. Like that was where I was like, I don't, this doesn't feel real to me. I think it's sort of like this sad thing that like they didn't give it enough time for certain relationships to develop as they should have. Yeah. Um. For example, if we're going to talk about standout now that I'm thinking about it is like Noah Gal- Galvin was great. That I was going to, I was leaving him for near the end because I feel like Noah Galvin is an actor that I feel there is a performance we're waiting for. Yeah. He's done really good in every supporting role I've ever seen him in. So now it's just a matter of matching him up with the right leading role in the right script with the right director. Yeah. And you would see like a breakout performance like, oh, this is an actor everybody needs to kind of pay attention to. Yeah. So like with Troy, maybe there could have been like more interactions with him and Rita, like him calling her aunt or something like that. And just like yeah, it feels like a- something that could have been like not only leading him to have more appreciation for the camp, but like removing that like broness because it's like they're trying to make him this like finance bro who ends up having a change of heart. But there should have been some handholding versus him just being like, oh no, I just realized how like talented, uh, like, uh. The kids Glenn is yeah. played by by Noah. It's like I just you know I know he's talented, versus like or him having an argument about like there's there's one kid he's he's sitting through rehearsals when they told him not to, and one kid starts singing Post Malone and he starts dancing. That That's was a that was his really best funny, scene in the movie. Right? And that sh- felt the most authentic. And to me. there should have been him making recommendations of like musicals a la Hamilton. <laughs> Or just being like trying to force him to do a jukebox musical because that's music that he knows. Like have him get involved in ways that he's failing because it was too much of him being like a tech bro. And mind you, or just like, like handling phone calls and bills. Because like my favorite part of the film is when he is with Patty Harrison. Um, yes. Because there's such, and like, and then afterwards when they're like in conflict. That really cracked me up. And I wish that he had been sitting with someone else who would have been like telling him, like, are you gonna say anything? Because yeah, yeah. like, she is like needling Because anytime he's not in a scene with Noah Galvin or Patty Harrison, I don't care about that character. Yeah. He only works when he's bouncing off of them. So he he should have had someone else to bounce off another scene. But I, I would not be surprised to find out if there is a ton of Cuts, cuts in this movie because when you do these sort of improvised mockumentary things there is a lot of just we're going to let the camera run and you're just going to do a scene uh but then we cut out a lot because the rhythm of the movie ends up off because we're just lingering in moments way too long yeah. so we cut it down and i think you're right like rita jones partner just kind of disappears but she's still at the camp yeah. and you would think why is she not taking more of a leadership role because she co-ran the camp with Joan. That would have yeah. made sense. So maybe there's something on the cutting room floor, floor that explains why she didn't. Yeah. But in the movie, it's very confusing because you think like, well, she's there. Why isn't she doing anything? Um, 
there were a few characters that it just felt like we were supposed to have gotten more out of their story and we just didn't particularly the boy with the two gay dads when he's introduced in the movie i'm like oh this is like our lead kid character he's gonna have an arc and he doesn't he does not have an it's he just he comes to camp for the first time he gets an important role in the the joan musical that they're doing and like the the punchline of the character is he's on stage and he talks about how camp helped him to be able to come out with confidence as a cis hetero male. <laughs> and then it cuts to his gay dads, like crying at and their, like, we know we are so proud of their son for coming out as straight, uh, which is a funny joke, but that character, the way the camera would linger on him and the way the movie cut him into it, I kept thinking, Oh, where's his story? Where's his arc? Is his arc going to yeah. be like, is it going to conjoin with Troy? Because they're both new to the camp. So they're both learning about the camp and then they end up having that bonding moment over the Post Malone song. Yeah. And once again, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like 30 minutes on the cutting room floor of a whole yeah. Troy relationship with this kid. A little bit of tightening um, with the film. Because uh, like, for example, the kid playing an aspiring agent, I didn't need that. I didn't need it's funny. It was funny, but like I like if you're gonna give me like a broader story of maybe like the connections between like some of the teachers and the students. Um, I like that one kid that like appears over to like Amos uh played by Ben Platt being like, Hey, um Rebecca Diane isn't there and I'm <laughs> he's like and I'm hungering for a performance. I need a performance. Oh, they do a performance for the kids every in the bunks. Night. Yeah, they do like a little, and so each one takes a turn. And so I like the fact that what this just like this tech kid being like, I need the performance, and that's that. Like you need to stop. Um, I felt that oh, there was a really great performer in the movie that I I don't think I've ever seen before. Owen Teal, who plays I think he's like he does costumes or something. Yes. And there's a really great moment. And it's clear it was probably one of those just. Yeah. And he goes, well, I'm not going to be able to do piercings in the bunks because someone was a narc. And then he goes, and yes, it was Becky. And then they cut to like a little girl sitting at one of the tables. <laughs> and I love how it's like he calls her out by name in front of all the other kids who are going to be disappointed. And like his character, I felt was consistently funny throughout the yeah, movie. He never should- had a big part. And they should have given a little bit more. I did love when they're like, all right, any, if anybody has any inspiring words to say before the performance starts? It's like, it's, it's, and he says, I was mad at all of you a few hours ago, but now I'm over it. Yeah, that made me crack <laughs> up. That was one, because it was just, it came out of nowhere and there was no scene like a few minutes earlier that showed him being mad, but it was just him bringing it up. They didn't do anything. He's just over it now. And it was, yeah, I just like the, the, rhythm his comedy rhythm is what really yeah, worked in the movie. I, that felt like something i would say to you but that would end up being a conversation because you'd be like no 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 no, no come back here <laughs> uh nathan lee graham who played mugatu's assistant in zoolander yeah of all things he is in it and he impresses me as someone that probably has worked on broadway a lot yeah like he just has that kind of theater vibe to him uh i think he does really well in the role yeah. that he's given um I think all the kids did really good. Yeah. They they felt like Broadway kids, but that was kind of the point of the movie yeah. is these kind of awkward Broadway kids that can't really behave like normal children. 
And so they just did a very good job. Everybody, all the kids, like, comedic timing was very strong. Yeah, I did, like, uh, the kids really shined during the scene where they have to service the Rotary Club. Um, oh, because, yeah, that's one of the ways <laughs> Troy's trying to raise money is he hosts a Rotary Club dinner at the camp. And the guy's like, I'll give you $40 and max because this was child abuse. <laughs> well, uh, it was David Rash from uh, Succession. And my favorite line is like, well, the kids are are like basically saying to each other, like, man, they've never done like an in performance. Uh, like they are so like saying that the adults are so lucky. And then it cuts to him going yeah. like, I just want to go. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's like, it's really making him uncomfortable because these kids are trying to like do monologues from things that are way too mature for them. And it's making all the adults very uncomfortable. Uh I was disappointed we didn't get more Amy Sedaris and I feel like I've been blue balled with Amy Sedaris twice, <laughs> two weeks in a row because uh, save yourselves. She's in the credits. I'm like, Amy Sedaris, I love her. And she's just a voice on a phone. Then here, Amy Sedaris in the opening of the movie, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize she was in this movie. This is great. She's going to be like the camp counselor or the, who's trying to keep everybody in line. And then the opening sequence, she goes into a coma and we don't see her until the end credits. What is she intentionally doing? Well, no, I know what it is, is it's these people came of age watching things like Strangers with Candy. And, and she probably also did because there were- She's become like a sort of theater queer mom. Yeah. And so she's somebody that they bring into their productions because they're like, oh, we love Amy. We grew up watching Amy in the same way that you'd see like old comedians get cast in things in like the 70s or the 80s because- people were like, oh, I grew up watching them and I want to work with them, kind of a yeah. thing. So I, I get why she's doing it. It takes maybe like, what, a, a week of her life or less to shoot the scene yeah, she's in? Yeah, like even like cuts of her on stage with kids pro looking younger. So it oh, wouldn't yeah. be like uh, surprising if she worked in these certain I wouldn't be surprised. She's probably friends with like Molly Gordon's parents or something. Yeah. And so that's how they got her in it. Uh, so it was a very Nepo baby movie. Um, I did think the film had really strong lighting. That's something yeah, I don't did. think a lot of people will talk about, but it had a very like warm uh, color palette and lighting that made it a very inviting movie. Like you felt very comfortable in every scene and you kind of wanted to be in the spaces with these characters. Uh, I don't like the style of singing that they do at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I try to figure out where did this come from? And I think it's the style of singing from Rent. Yeah. I do not have the musical vocabulary to describe what this is, but it's sort of a layered kind of singing. Mm -hmm. And it's talky. Yeah, it's kind of a talky layered singing. And I hate that style of singing because I'm, I mean, I like Broadway musicals. I just don't like the Broadway musicals kind of from rent onward. That's where they lost me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I mean, I also hate like Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff. Um, it's, it, yeah, it just feels very, it feels too contemporary for me, I guess is what it is. And I, to me, like Broadway musicals are kind of like classical music in a way in my mind. I guess I'm the Ben Shapiro of Broadway musicals <laughs> because I also don't like Hamilton. Uh, and I don't like the sort of pop IP musical thing that seems to be very popular now. Like the idea of a Back to the Future musical sounds disgusting to me. And I love that movie. Uh, the idea of a Beetlejuice musical, no thank you. And I mean, I think the Beetlejuice movie's fine. It's not one of my favorites. But like, there's no way 
I would go to see any of these musicals. So basically, if I ever had the itch to watch them, I'd have to go take someone else. It would depend on the musical. It would depend on the musical. It's a it's a case. What, it's a musical by musical see, basis. I wanted to go see Beetlejuice just because I want to know why someone would get groped during it. Well, that's. I think Bobert was going to get groped no matter what performance she was watching. Though I did see somebody say, "Vaping, giving a hand job, and getting groped in a theater." I think Beetlejuice would have approved. <laughs> and it really does. It's like, yeah, very Beetlejuice energy. She was synced up with the musical. That's what was going on. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a super inoffensive movie. Yeah. Unless you're some kind of homophobe, I guess. And then I don't care if you're offended. Um, but yeah, it's, I, it's a movie you could watch with your family. I mean, I can't remember anything incredibly awkward or offensive about it i mean there's no nudity there's no sexuality no there's barely any cursing i think the the comedy comes out of it's these kids taking on roles that were not designed for children so it's just them kind of playing more mature characters but not really doing anything that's that like objectionable right but yeah it's a very fluffy movie it's a movie that you used to see movies like this, I think, All the get, time. get like wide releases. But now, because of the way films are, and we've talked about this before, you don't get films like this with wide releases, which is a shame because I think there's a lot of fun to be had and getting a bunch of like theater kids together, going to a, a movie theater and seeing this movie. Yeah. Like that could be a lot of fun. Uh, I would not want to be there because it would not be a fun experience for me. <laughs> it would be a nightmare. But, uh, you know, hey, that's other people. This is their thing. Uh, so would you recommend theater camp? I know a fire we were kind of like you miss it if you don't really yeah, care this too much. Or just fun, kind of lighthearted, so it won't like damage your evening. You'll laugh a little bit. And there's some you know decently good performances in here. Yeah. Like people who I don't think you're seeing the best we can get out of them, but because they're so good, they elevate the movie around yeah. them. Yeah. you enjoyed this episode of the pop cult podcast and make sure to check out our show notes for relevant links to things we might have spoken about on the show also make sure to check out popcult.blog for additional reviews we post things on there every monday wednesday friday and more on the weekends Uh, currently we're doing a noir masterworks series for september coming up this week we will be looking at akira kurosawa's stray dog uh, orson wells in the third man and night and the city We also are doing an ongoing series where we're reviewing Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run, which has been really interesting. And my favorite of those is coming up in the next review we'll be doing on Saturday. If you enjoy what we do here on the podcast, first, you want to make sure to subscribe wherever it is you listen so you'll get notified when new episodes pop up. Then you also want to think about supporting us on Patreon. Uh, We have different reward levels. We have goals that we're working towards. And we're just trying to get as many people involved as possible to kind of to grow the fan base here and grow the community. Uh, Speaking of, I want to thank our current patrons. We have Morphine, who donates at the sneak preview level, Becca and Matt, who donate at the writer's room level. If you donate at the writer's room level or higher, you get to pick a movie every month for us to watch and review. You can even add your own thoughts to that if you wish. And if you subscribe at any level to our Patreon, you will get access to our exclusive patron-only podcasts. Uh, In October, we've got a new podcast series coming up 
where Ariana and I are going to be playing a GM-less tabletop roleplay game uh, and using it as kind of a way to maybe build a story treatment, possibly. Don't know. We're going to find that out. Uh, so if you join our Patreon, you'll be able to listen in as we post those episodes. Well, until next time, keep listening. Thank you.